You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. I am joined by co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. And at readandreaction.com. Will, man, um, yeah, big episode here. Uh, kind of unexpected episode for some things. We were planning on doing a recruiting episode anyway. Uh, and, you know, you were releasing a, an article at Read and Reaction. Uh, and, you know, anyway, talking about recruiting and, and some stuff about recruiting. And then um, last, the end of last week happened where you know, Tennessee gets on fire in recruiting. Camargo Coxon commits to Tennessee. Uh, Florida has a D commitment. And you know, we, we thought it would just be nice anyway to give a recruiting update heading into May. And then little did we know the end of last week uh, and over the weekend, uh, recruiting would kind of just catch on fire. Uh, and then right before, about an hour and a half before we come here uh, on Gators Breakdown, we get word of a of a transfer. True freshman Isaiah Walker will uh, will you know enter the transfer portal. Will, uh, will, remains to be seen if if he'll actually you know transfer out of Florida. But it's putting his name in, into the transfer portal. Will man, it's uh, the roller, you know, recruiting is the roller coaster that never stops. Um, and of course, the moniker Gators breakdown. There's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. It it, it rings true, my friend. Yeah, you know, we were all prepared for this episode, but now we're we were wishing we weren't prepared for this episode <laughs> based on what's going on with the program right now. And you know, for the second year in a row now, we got a guy who's not who's likely not going to make it to fall camp, and, and and that's a real problem when you're bringing in people, high level four and five star guys who who decide to leave before they ever take a snap in the fall. And obviously, things are going things are weird right now with with the coronavirus not being on campus. Um, it's just a very weird time, so I do think there's probably some some things that are that normally wouldn't go on that are going on. But but at the same time, you know, 
every other program has to deal with the same thing. We sort of talked about that last week that, that when it comes to on the field stuff, no one's going to feel sorry for you. Everybody has to deal with the same thing. And it's the same thing when it has to do with recruiting, right? Is nobody's going to feel sorry for you. you. Everybody's dealing with the same sort of situations and issues. And when, you know, hopefully, hopefully Walker comes back. If he doesn't, hopefully he finds a place that's good for him. But, but it is disturbing to see yet again in, in recruiting that, that Florida's struggling in a way that you wouldn't really expect for a program like Florida and a program that's one like Florida has under Mullen. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, we'll get into uh, all the all the talk here of everything of everything going on. Uh, a lot of news uh, out there uh, right now in Gator Nation, of course. I mean, Will and I will have you covered there. But before we get into the episode, Will, I'm going to uh, uh, let you let you be a proud pop here. <laughs> and uh, uh, of course, a lot of you uh, over the weekend uh, have noticed, uh, you know, Will's daughter Amelia uh, releasing a book. So we'll I'll let you take it from here, and uh, you know, hopefully give our uh, you know, our Gators Breakdown listeners and Gator Nation kind of something to look forward to. Yeah, thanks, Dave. So here it is. This is the book. If you can see it on YouTube, it's called The Gator Gang Gets Groceries. So maybe about a year ago, Amelia and I were going for a walk, and and I asked her if she'd like to write a book with with me and she, or a children's book, and she said, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, you know, we'll see what comes of this. And then she went home and she drew out her characters and she um, and she started storyboarding the thing. And she and I went back and forth a little bit about the details, but you know, here it is a year later, and she's got a fully finished book that's up on Amazon. And actually, thank you to everybody who, who follows me on Twitter or Facebook or, or my mailing list because she was up to number two in children's sports books today on, on the new release list. So it's been a pretty successful launch and she's really obviously excited about it. So she's 11 years old. So this is sort of a cool experience for her. And it was just sort of a good father, father daughter thing to do, but it's a cool story. Really. It's, it's about, her and her brothers are, are gators. They each have different personality quirks that match very closely with each of the kids. And, uh, and they use their, they, they individually, they're unable to defeat a bulldog from Georgia, a coonhound from Tennessee and a tiger from Louisiana. But when they, when they band together, they're able to figure out how to get past them. So um, kind of a cool, a, a cool story. And she tinted it with just enough gator stuff to, to make it interesting for me. So, uh, so it, it's really cool to see. And, and she, she was lighting up yesterday at all the comments people were making and, and people messaging me, telling me they were buying it. So thank you very much for everybody who has. And, and if you get an opportunity, if you go to read and reaction.com slash Amelia, um, there's a link. There's also a link on the main page to the, to the book. It's up on Amazon and we'd be thrilled if you buy it. And, and we've actually had some people who have offered to donate it to people who have been furloughed or, or who in need. So if you're in that situation, feel free to reach out to me and we'll make sure you get, to, we'll make sure you get a book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I got mine ordered. Will it should be here uh, tomorrow. Uh, there, so you know, we'll see uh, how how all that goes, but uh, definitely ready uh, to let Hadley read it and uh, and, and let her experience uh, some some uh, uh, a cool you know children's gator story. There's not many of these types of books out there, uh, so I think that's one thing I think Amelia has going for her uh, that uh, it, it would be cool to see uh, so many gator kids you know growing up uh, with a story that you know hey down the road uh, is uh, kind of a, a staple in gator families. Well, hey, you ought to buy it for all your friends who like Georgia because yes. they, they defeat Kirby the Bulldog going along the way. So <laughs> so we absolutely need to get them for all the all the Georgia fans out there and make sure we indoctrinate the, the, the kids in those families so they don't make a wrong choice when they turn 18. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So as Will said, you can go definitely go purchase it on Amazon, uh, go search for it and, uh, and, and find it there. So 
Uh, and look, everybody, I know there's a lot going on out there, but I uh, wanted to thank everyone you know, who's reached out, listened to the show, shared it, interacted on Twitter. Um, hope you're getting some type of distraction out there uh, you, know, you know, with everything going on. So you know, hopefully, you know, Gators Breakdown, we're, we're giving you some type of distraction uh, with everything going on. Still trying to provide you guys with all the Gators football talk you can handle. And, and while we may not agree on everything, uh, the conversations and, and, and debates Keep it pretty fun. Keep it pretty fun out there. So, you know, whether you're from Gainesville, Jacksonville, Tampa, Miami, Orlando, Lakeland, Chuliota, or outside the state of Florida, uh, thanks very much for listening to Gators Breakdown. And, uh, you know, you keep keep going, it, keep bringing it. And uh, that's what we're going to do here as well on Gators Breakdown. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. you find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. So please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at Gators Breakdown. So, well, let's get into the uh, bit of the breaking news here. As I said, about an hour and a half ago before we started a recording here, uh, not good news uh, for the Gators. Freshman offensive tackle Isaiah Walker decides to transfer out of Florida before even playing it down for the Gators. Look, well, you know, he's supposed to play a large role in providing at least some depth uh, for the Gators in 2020. He's supposed to go through spring ball, push for maybe even a starting position, and he'll never suit up in orange and blue. Uh, and now, you know, now a, a true freshman, you know, leaving, putting himself into the transfer portal was odd news in and of itself. But uh, at Florida, as you kind of alluded to earlier, you know, second year in a row where highly rated prospects are no longer part of the program before the first snap of their freshman season. Uh, Chris Steele last year, Jalen Jones last year. Um, and, you know, there's two, two that you can point to there. So another part of this, will, and it's just kind of, you know, really odd timing on top of it uh, with everything going on out there. You know, these students are not even on campus. Uh, you know, Walker sent out some some vague, worrisome tweets a few weeks ago. So, you know, hope all is fine there uh, with him. And, you know, there's probably some stuff behind the scenes that, that don't, you know, need to see the light of day. But uh, on the surface of what this means for the Gator team, it isn't good, Will. You know, there's no there's no spin here in this department. A position of need, a highly rated prospect that, you know, we plan to be on this offensive line for years to come. And as of right now, he's putting his name into the transfer portal and may never may never play as a Gator. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing he said there is position of need, right? So when when Chris Steele went back to went back to the West Coast last year, one it was kind of expected because you get guys who come from the West Coast and get homesick and go back and, and those sorts of things. It was a little bit surprising it happened as early as it did, but there were also sort of the extenuating circumstances with Jalen Jones that were tied into that as well. Um, in this case, you've got and, and there you had Kyrie Elam as as a backup and certainly somebody who. Uh, who who proved that he was more than capable to step in at the end of last season. Um, I think now, though, <laughs> offensive line was this place where Florida really struggled last year, where guys like Ethan White came in in their true freshman year and were able to prove that they were able to get in there and get snaps and get playing time if they were good enough. And then you look at Walker. I mean, he's 156th national recruit in the class of 2020 at offensive tackle, which also means that he's athletic enough that if you wanted to move him into guard to get him playing time, you'd probably be able to do that. And, you know, he was sort of the one of the big-time offensive lineman recruits that, that you looked at and said, hey, they're building something there on the offensive line. Maybe the, the 2019 offensive line wasn't great, but in 2020, 2021, and 2022, it's going to be a lot better. So, you know, there's uh, – 
You know, there's a little bit of concern here, I think, that, that you're losing somebody at a position of need because that's that's a place where you would expect to be able to hold on to guys because they're not leaving because they're not getting playing time. They're leaving for some other reason, and, and hopefully that reason is, is, is uh, you know, is tied into the well-being of Walker, and and you know we wish him well. Obviously, um, you, you know you never want to see somebody somebody do poorly. So, you know if if he doesn't feel like Florida's the place for him, then he'll move on. But obviously, it's a it's an issue for Mullen, and you've used an initial counter at this point for this particular spot as well, and that's been sort of a theme as well over the last two or three years is using counters on guys who don't ever step on campus or play very minimally, and then leave the leave the program, and they're going to have to manage that moving forward. Yeah, and will fair or, or or not, and probably unfair. We'll see. We'll see what comes out of this. Um, but you know, of course, the national perception is going to go back to this time last year and what was going on with those other transfers. Because you remember, you go back a year ago. You know, Florida was getting slung through the mud a bit with all the you know the Jalen Jones and Chris Steele situation, and you know what's going on in Gainesville. Why why are players leaving so early and all that? You know, and then now this is just an extension of that. Just one year later, uh, that you know we're hearing this again uh, about another highly rated prospect, and not necessarily. And it doesn't really matter how highly rated of a prospect Walker is. Of course, it's going to probably garner more headlines because of that, but. But uh, people would have started doing some digging, no matter who it was. If it was a two-star, three-star, uh, that, that doesn't matter. You know, you start seeing true freshmen not ever play a down. And don't get me wrong, it, it, from the outside and even from the inside, even even closer to the program, it is a weird look. Uh, I'll, finally, I'll fully admit that if you're if you're in if if you're in California or you're in Ohio or Michigan and you see the headline two years in a row, true freshman leaves University of Florida. You know, it puts his name into the transfer portal. It, it it is a weird look, and you know we're a little bit closer, and, and we know some kind of the extenuating circumstances that were happening last year with Jalen Jones and, and and Chris Steele, and maybe even with this one here. But as I said, you know this, uh, of course, the national perception is going to be again what's going on in Gainesville. Why can't they? Why, why can't they keep kids uh, that they just recently signed? Well, man, I, I think it should be right. I, I think there are questions that need to be asked. I, I think if if this were Miami or Florida State or Georgia or Alabama, maybe not Alabama because they've done so well, <laughs> but if it was any of Florida's main rivals, we'd be making fun of them for something like this and talking about the dysfunction and talking about what kind of organization they have and all those sorts of things. And I think those are legitimate questions. It doesn't mean that that Mullen's doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean that there are issues, but it is an indication that there are things that may need to be corrected, or at least there are questions that need to be asked. And I certainly hope that people get the opportunity to do that. I, I think it's, you know, there, there's at a very high level, the recruiting at Florida under Mullen has been better than McIlwain, but has not been good enough for what you think is going to be necessary to win the SEC or, or win a national championship. And in order to offset the gap between where Florida is and where Florida needs to be, you can't have guys leaving the program. And you know, you mentioned that it wouldn't have mattered how highly rated that Walker is, but I do think that it matters from the standpoint of who didn't commit because Walker was in the fold and in the fold relatively early mm. too. Um, you know, was there an offensive lineman they could have taken who was rated, you know, 190th, who decided to go someplace else because he knew he was going to be behind Walker? Was there, you know, maybe two three-star guys who were pretty good that three years from now will be really good players who didn't come because they were going to be behind Walker and Braun? And you know, you, you just can't, you don't know what that is. It, it, 
the biggest thing is, is that it's a waste of the resources that you have. You've got a, you've got 25 initial counters every year. You've got 85 scholarships. Obviously, 25 counters a year adds up to 100, so you're going to have some attrition, but you're going to have attrition due to disciplinary reasons. You're going to have attrition due to injuries. And if you have attrition because you didn't, didn't vet the guys coming in well enough to where they're leaving before they ever really get an opportunity to come in. I, I think that's, it's legitimate that there should be questions asked again. I'm not saying that, that there's something wrong or that there's something that that's untoward going on. I'm just saying if it was a rival, I'd be asking the question. I'd certainly probably be ragging on my, on my friends who are fans of that program too. Yeah, absolutely there. Absolutely. So now you know we'll we'll, we'll see the the fallout of this of uh, of course and, and what's gonna you know maybe we'll get more news in the next couple of days. I don't know if uh, Florida will send anything out, uh, of course, in and uh, in regards to this. Uh, so you know we'll see we'll, we'll see where it goes from here, and uh, we'll keep our keep our eyes open and and, and our ears open as well to kind of you know, maybe see uh, if we hear anything uh, in, in regards to this and, and what happened here. So. All right, well, let's move forward into uh, what our episode was going to originally be about uh, before we got that news here about Isaiah Walker. And look, I get talking recruiting in May is a tricky subject. <laughs> I get that many people out there don't worry about, uh, you know, or don't worry about recruiting until National Signing Day in, in December and February. I get that. I respect that. I actually lean more that way myself. But, you know, what happens leading up to those months are just as important out there for some. So, Recruiting is a journey. Some choose to follow. It's a roller coaster. Uh, there will be some good news. There will be some bad news. You know, if we can discuss the good news when Florida gets commits and shoots up the rankings, then we can also have, you know, Will, some civil conversation when decommits happen and, and other schools and rivals shoot up the rankings as well. You know, that's, that's part of it. So, you know, we had uh, plenty of, you know, talk late winter and early spring about how well Florida was doing on the trail and how everything was looking good is fluid, you know, no decisions, no ultimatums need to come on anyone based on what's happening right now in May. Uh, but we can discuss the peaks and valleys, Will, and, and the wacky side of college football that is recruiting. So, you know, I, I hope to look at this from both sides of the argument and, and, and listeners out there can make their minds up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, again, I, I think when we talk about recruiting and we talk about recruiting at Florida, it's through the prism of what do you have to do to take on Georgia? What do you have to do to take on Alabama? What do you have to do to take on Ohio State? Right. I mean, those are the teams that you're targeting for. Mullen talks about the Gator standard all the time, and that standard is SEC championships. But even more than that, it's when you win the SEC that you are the prohibitive favorite to win the tournament. And and that's what we're aiming for. And so there are markers, right? I mean, there are markers when you look at the teams that win the national championship um, and have gotten there consistently, there are markers that you need to take a look at. And I think that's really what we're doing is we're saying, hey, you know, these are the things that in the past have been necessary. Um, it doesn't mean they're always necessary. Certainly there are outliers, but I don't think you want to necessarily always be reliant on that. And so you look and say, okay, are we hitting this marker? Are we hitting this next marker? If we're not hitting that marker, what do we need to do in order to hit that marker in the future? And that's, you know, just because you didn't necessarily bring in the class you wanted last year or two years ago doesn't mean you can't bring in the class you want next year so what are you changing what are you improving and and is it necessary right i mean maybe these guys are better at evaluating people than anybody else who's out there and, and we'll find that out so um if nothing else it's an interesting argument right to <laughs> to have sort of and I, I indicated this in the article that i wrote this week that you've got the recruit next who are sort of out there saying you know there's there's no way that you're going to be able to win 
with without you know having big time success on the recruiting trail but then you've got other people who are worried that the negativity from the people who pay mm-hmm. so much attention to recruiting is actually sort of a self-perpetuating cycle right that the, the negativity associated with a decommit or with somebody like walker leaving then ends up impacting mullen's ability to sell the program um you know moving forward from there too and i, I think there is a little bit of truth to yeah. that right i mean gator twitter is uh it's a lightning it's rod it's a lightning it is aggressive rod. <laughs> it is aggressive right and i mean i, I so i it depends on personalities. I mean, I think if you are a personality who thrives on the idea that you're going to be lauded when you do something well, I mean, no one's going to be louder and more in your corner than Gator Twitter if you go out there and show out as a as a recruit, you know, a high level recruit who then goes out on the field and performs. Um, but certainly, guys who go out there and and underperform or struggle are going to hear it as well, and that's just sort of the the catch twenty two with with this particular program. It's one of the reasons why it's why it's so fun to follow and so fun to cover. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get into uh, our kind of storylines of recruiting, let's take a quick look uh, at where recruiting stands right now for the 2021 class led by right now Ohio State number one with 17 commits and an average of 95.33. Will, that is with three five stars, 11 four stars, and 13 or three three stars. Maybe we say that again. Three five stars, eleven four stars, and three three stars there for Ohio State. And after a hot week up in Knoxville, Tennessee shoots up. I think they've had seven, eight commits in the last week or so. They shoot up to number two in the country right now with eighteen commits, two five stars, four four stars, and twelve three stars for an average of 89.21. So that tells you the difference right there. While Tennessee may be number two, and we'll get to it, you know, North Carolina three, Florida four, you're looking at three teams there, Will, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Florida with an average right around, you know, 90-91. Ohio State with 17 commits, an average of 95.33. Clemson comes in at number five there with nine commits and an average of 95.03. So, Tells you the difference there between the, the elites that we know coming into recruiting already with you know Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, uh, you know of what the difference of the quality of uh, the players that they're bringing in, uh, but you know just the top five there shows you shows you the disparity uh, in, in that metric. But as I said, North Carolina comes in at number three with fourteen commitments. Florida still at number four, uh, still a top five class right now with twelve commits there uh, for the Gators. No five stars, seven four stars, and five three stars to round out the top ten. Big surprise, Iowa in a, in the sixth spot. Miami at number seven. USC at number eight. Minnesota at number nine. LSU at number ten. And this is will the part where we can say if you want to get a if you if it gets on your nerves talking recruiting in May, the rankings are probably part of that. Uh, you know the the there's such a disparity in number of commits for these schools. You know schools like Minnesota and Iowa are not going to end up <laughs> in the top 10. Uh, get, get off to some fast starts there, but uh, Iowa right now, their average is at 88.04. Um, Minnesota, 87.59. Uh, you know, and that's LSU's at number 10 with an average of 93.61. So there you go. Just kind of lets you know, you know the, the average right now, the average recruiting rankings probably mean a bit more than where you actually are ranked uh, there, but you know, Michigan 11, Notre Dame 12, Texas 13, Penn State 14, Maryland 15, Georgia all the way down to 17, but only seven, you know, commits there. So you got schools like Alabama, Auburn that are all right down the rankings. And that's just what you get when you look at recruiting in, in May. So that when, when you 
have you know side of the fan base that says you know I don't really care until you know National Signing Day. That's part of the reason why the, you know the rankings right now don't really mean a whole lot. They can lead up to things, uh, and you know I think you know getting commitments. Sometimes uh, I think the argument can be made it's easier to keep commitments than it is to you know uh, kind of rely on trying to go out there and flip guys uh, who may decommit from other schools. Uh, but we'll you know just kind of a quick look at the rankings there show you uh, why you can get in trouble a bit if you want to look at rankings in May. Yeah, I mean, so I think you need to – the rankings you take with a grain of salt, right? The fact that Tennessee yep. is second, they're not going to end up at second. Yeah. They're I not going to the out-recruit reason- Alabama. They're not going to out-recruit Georgia. They're probably not – I mean, they'll be maybe neck and neck with Florida because they were kind of close last year. But we we, well, we, we have- know the usual suspects. Well, and they haven't out recruited Alabama thus far. Well, maybe <laughs> Alabama because Alabama's like forty something. Yeah. But, but you know, so the reason Tennessee has optimism is because they brought in two five star guys the last in the last week, right? Yep. And and if Florida had two five star guys who just committed, we'd be very very enthused yep. about the direction of recruiting. And and that's really what you're looking at when you look at Tennessee, because like you mentioned, their average player ranking is only eighty nine point two. Versus Florida, that's at 90.7. Now, I will say North Carolina looks like they're sustainable under Mac Brown. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, we, we talked, I put up our article today, Bill, behind the scenes has been calling the ACC the almost competitive conference mm-hmm. now for like six or seven months when I've been talking to them. And, and you know, North Carolina being able to build into the ACC along with Florida State, if Norvell can get their act together. And then Clemson, you know, it'll be nice to see Clemson have to play somebody during the year. And then you got Clemson with nine commits, all four stars, right? So you look at zero five stars, nine four stars, compared to Florida at zero five stars and seven four stars. You go, oh, those classes are pretty close to the same. Nah, Clemson's at 95.03, so they are bringing in top 100 guys. And you and I have talked about dividing it up into, you know, zero to 100, 101 to 200, 201 to 300, and how really – Getting guys in that top 100 category or, is really, really important, and Clemson's done that. Certainly, Iowa, Miami, the, they're, Minnesota, they're going to fall out. But LSU being at 93.6, that's a nice little uh, national championship bump they've got there. USC's recruiting really well. Michigan, eh. Uh, basically, what it boils down to is, is that Florida's going to end up exactly where they wound up last year. They're going to end up seventh, eighth, ninth, maybe they flip a, or not flip, maybe they get a five-star to commit like they did with Griffon Dexter. Maybe one of these guys that they evaluate who's sitting at, you know, 60th, 70th, 80th right now ends up as a five-star because he's able to play his way into there after his senior year, assuming that football happens this <laughs> this this fall. Um, but here's the deal, right? So Florida, uh, Mullins brought in classes that have ranked 14th, 9th, and 9th in his first three seasons in Gainesville, according to 24-7 Sports. The, their ratings, which are percentages, right, out of 100, are 90.75, 91.06, and 90.70. Those are the last three years. And this year, in early May, they're sitting here at 90.72. Last year, early May, they were 91.33. So, um, it, you know, the, the quality of player that Florida has committed through May 1st is right around the quality of the player that Florida had committed through May 1st last year and the quality of player that Florida had committed two years ago through May 1st, I'm sure as well, if you look back at that, it's just, you know, the reality is, is that these schools, like you mentioned, like Tennessee's not going to finish above Alabama. Why do we know that? Because Alabama has a track record and Tennessee has a track record. And Mullen set a track record at Florida. This is what his recruiting is going to look like. And, you know, we, we just sort of have to understand that, that, that that's what's going to happen is it's going to be somewhere between 90.5 and 91.5 and he's either going to win with them or he's not, but that's where we're going to end up. 
Yeah, I mean, the floor's definitely been raised. Uh, it's just, you know, the ceiling is is a, you know, about there with as far as elites go. Uh, you got to you want the average to go up, Florida's going to have to start keeping those elite young guys in, in state and, and, and sign up with the Gators instead of going uh, out of state there. So, well, a lot of the storylines for recruiting this past week, you know, class hurt most by decommitments lately in the, in the storyline surrounding them. Uh, Kamaru Coxon had um, committed to Florida for a second time and then decommitted in late March for a second time. Uh, then last week, he makes a surprise announcement and commits to Tennessee to get the ball rolling there for the Vols last week. Um, Then another surprise comes late last Friday night in the form of Brashard Smith, the all-purpose athlete uh, back from Palmetto, uh, Miami Palmetto, decommitting from Florida. And you mentioned it in your article uh, a little bit, too. We'll get to more of your article uh, a bit, too. But, you know, this doesn't necessarily hurt Florida in the form of losing a highly ranked player, but just hurt Florida more in the perception uh, department there. Will Coxon commits to Tennessee, and it looks like, you know, a Florida staffer is tweeting about the situation, rubs some recruits the wrong way, and, and then a decommitment from Smith, uh, you know, who many thought certainly would stick uh, in this Florida class. So, you know, Mainly, you know, the timing of it all really plays into the perception part uh, of the story here for the Gators. Timing plays such a large part in all this, Will, in, in so many ways. You know, Florida has 12 commits now. Had three of them come in the last couple of weeks, the angst of some of the fan base probably wouldn't be there. It's just, you know, just the nature of the beast. That's how it goes. But since Florida got off to a, to, to a fast start, you know, it, that, uh, that kind of was going to happen. I'll get into that in, in just a bit. You know, and some will argue, you know, it's quality of recruits, and, and that – you know, it is a valid argument, you know, but, you know, had Florida received a few of the 12 commits recently, I don't think we're having much of a conversation for a class that currently ranks fourth. No, we would have, ha- we would have heard people yelling two months ago when they didn't have You're right, exactly. the class of everybody. <laughs> exactly. I, that's the thing, right? Is it, I, I get why people get um, tired of hearing all of the, all the noise that's associated with recruiting because one, there's not really anything you can do about it. And two, you don't really know where everything's going to fall until either, well, really, you know, in December, but either December or February is where you kind of know where you're going to be at. And then you just sort of go from there. Right. And a lot of people just watch the stuff so that they can enjoy the football game. And they're not necessarily, you know, they want to know what happened on the field, but they're not real, real interested in the recruiting. But on the other side, you've got people who've gone and looked at it like we have and said, Hey, the, the, the numbers make a difference and you have to bring in these guys. And, you know, it's also the, you mentioned the, the staff tweeting and, and that sort of stuff. It, 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 it's one of those things where you kind of want to feel like the staff is going to act like they've been there before and they've got all that stuff together and they're expecting this and they're building those relationships and they've got an idea of what's going on. And when you come off as, as vindictive or when, when you do something that upsets the other recruits in terms of how you treat a kid, that, that's, that's going to be something that sticks in people's minds, especially people who think you aren't doing a good enough job on the trail. And as far as Smith is concerned, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit coming up. Sure. Uh, coming up soon, I'm sure. But the high school where he, where he plays mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the angst associated with, with his decommit, not necessarily just him though. Obviously he's a good player, um, ranked 346th overall nationally. But I think the, the people that he plays with are also a big part of the angst that's tied in with him. Yeah. And it's kind of getting to my point. Well, to, to me, some of this, and I tweeted this out, the, the, some the brick wall, the momentum that's been stopped was kind of inevitable during during the pandemic because of the fast start Florida got off to. 
of course it was going to slow down at some point. It's just, you know, uh, you know, heading into to the beginning of the pandemic, Florida had 14 commits, was, you know, talk of college football recruiting out there for many of the services, especially after the junior day in early March and, and then all the COVID stuff hits. And, and it seems like it just kind of thwarted uh, the momentum the staff had. But, you know, maybe it was inevitable uh, that, that something negative was going to happen. You know, got off to such a fast start. And, of course, the commitments were going to happen. It happens in every cycle. Uh, commitments would slow down and such. So it, it was going to happen. Florida wasn't going to have the majority of its class finished by the time summer rolled around. You know, recruiting just doesn't work that way. Florida wasn't going to have 20 commits by the time, you know, the, the, the summer rolled around. It was kind of nature of the beast here. So don't get me wrong. It, it, it stinks seeing some of the of the targets we thought Florida have a good shot with go commit somewhere else and, and decommits paired with that. Uh, but that's recruiting for you. There are ups and the downs, as we mentioned earlier. And uh, to kind of further the, the staff thought here, you know, whatever the staff has done to adjust the situation that we're currently in doesn't seem to have paid off. Uh, two things can be true at the same time. You know, maybe a momentum momentum drop was inevitable. But whatever this, you know, but what was the strategy from the, the the staff during this pandemic? We've seen schools take so much advantage of this, and whether that we'll see if that pays off in the long run. Who who knows? You know, these got these, these players out there aren't taking visits. You know, how, how solid are these commitments? We'll see. Uh, but we would certainly like to see Florida uh, get, getting a couple at, at this time. And Florida is just now starting virtual virtual visit tours this week for prospects. You know, this is something other schools have been doing for weeks. Something I mentioned I mentioned a few weeks ago in the podcast in, in, in regards to Zach Evans, since his visit plans are up in the air. So, so Will, while maybe some of the slowdown was to be expected, there are still things we can point to that could be done better. Well, I mean, I think that's true of every program, right? There, I, I'm not here to be a defender of the Florida program, but I think there, are, every program can take a look and say, "Hey, how can we do this better?" I think the problem is, is you're starting to run out of excuses, right? The the excuse two, three years ago was, "Well, let's just show them on the field." And Florida's gone ten and three, eleven and two, finished in the top ten two straight years, has looked to be headed in the right direction. The office offense is functional. The defense is very, very good as well. And and Florida has been an excellent team on the field in the biggest conference in the world. And and it's not translating on the recruiting side, right? And and same general thing here where you're talking about stuff that other programs have been doing for weeks and Florida's momentum slows down and it's like okay well you know you can mimic what other programs are doing that it's okay <laughs> like we, we, so i you know look i i think at the end of the day we've talked about this you know just uh, every year is that recruit you know salesmen sell right recruiters mm-hmm. recruit and that doesn't appear to be the mo for this program Unfortunately, I mean, Mullen is such a – his staff has been so effective at getting the guys ready to play other than the, the wristband thing with Georgia last year. Other than that, they have always been prepared. They have always been ready to go, and they've always put forth a great effort on the field, and he's done more with less than I think anybody in the country, really, um, except for maybe some mid-major guys might be able to make a distinction or might be able to make a claim there. But the, the problem is, is this is the one area that if it improves, he's going to win championships. And so you would think that there would be an extraordinary emphasis on how do we do this better? Who do we bring in to do this better? What can we change to do this better? And like you said, it, it, the there has been a delay in terms of being able to deal with the things that are going on right now. Now, obviously, no one really foresees a pandemic going on. And so this is sort of uncharted water for everybody. But the ability to make 
changes on the roll when you see things that aren't necessarily going your way. Um, you hope they'll be able to make those adjustments and be able to bring some of these guys back into the fold and potentially bring in some of the guys we're going to talk about. Yeah, well, and, and part of that's where I'll fall. And I, I tweeted this too over the weekend, and, and it got a pretty good response. And you know, it, it is with the caveat that we have to see where this class finishes. But a lot of the angst from the fan base comes with just how close, as you just mentioned, how close Florida is right now. They just have to get over the hump. And, and not to say the way recruiting is going now that they can't, but you know, right now they're a top ten team based on what Mullen has done in his first two seasons uh, with recruiting classes left by Jim McElwain that weren't e- even in the top ten. You know, so the question becomes: Is a top ten, is top fifteen classes enough? Does Mullen need elite classes? And the the angst comes from elite classes makes it pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's such a good coach that he's going to win championships. You get this man a top five class, and Florida's going to go out there and win an SEC title. Florida's going to go out there and compete for the college football playoff. And look, they're, they're just a hair step below uh, right now with these programs. You, you see it in, in, in the final rankings and how close they've been to Georgia uh, in the final rankings and, and how they've played similar opponents in there. Uh, and there's, there's certain, There are things you can point to to show how close Florida is, but, and, and you're like, oh, you've, you've just had these couple more players, these highly elite players, that can be the difference uh, with Dan Mullen. A more for sure thing. Imagine this guy with you know, the, the Tim Tebow and the Percy Harvin types, and, and that's what we want to see. And look, on a consistent basis, he's not going to out-recruit Saban, Smart, Dabo. Uh, it, it just, it's just not going happen, to happen with the thing, way things stand right now. Recruiting has gotten better since Jim McElwain. He's hit the transfer portal hard. That part of it has helped so much. But and and I've likened it this, and I and I said it many times. Just like the NFL, and you hear the the whole saying, you build your team through the draft. And you know, and I think that for the most part is true in in college football too. Is you build your team through recruiting. Absolutely, and I, I think you know. So I, I guess the. The reality is, is that Florida has lost to Georgia three straight years and has lost two straight years to Georgia um, under Dan Mullen. And then you look at the difference in the talent between the two teams and it doesn't even really seem fair. So if you look at, you know, 2016 to 2020, um, Florida has one five star, 66 four stars, 48 three stars. Georgia has 22 five stars, 73 four stars and 28 three stars. So, yes, Georgia's seen some attrition. They've seen some guys transfer out. Yes, Florida has brought in guys to the transfer portal who are five star rated or highly rated four stars. Um but the talent gap is enormous, and and the reality and is Florida's that, also had their own attrition and stuff. Basically, what we just got through talking about. <laughs> well, so yes, but even even if all those guys were there, you would still say, hey, this is this is an issue that they're that far behind, and and it would you know if if Florida was one and one against Georgia over the last two years, and one and one against LSU, and had dropped the game against um, you know Missouri or something like that, you'd say, okay, talent isn't the only thing that's at play here. But the reality is they got boat raced by Georgia two years ago. Last year, you can go back and watch that game. It was not a seven-point game. Georgia was in control the entire time. And, you know, we can argue about whether it's seven points or not. But at the end of the day, did I feel like Florida really had an opportunity to win that game? I, I, I really didn't. I felt like Georgia controlled it. And considering how bad Georgia played throughout the year on both sides of that game makes me a little bit more pessimistic coming out of it just because they were able to convert all those third downs and, and, you know, for a team that was struggling coming in and then struggled going out, um, 
you know, to have Florida be the one game where they weren't struggling or where they didn't look like they were struggling is a little bit disturbing as well. So, I, you know, I mean, recruiting is a huge part of it, obviously. And, you know, I'm glad Georgia doesn't have Justin Fields. I guess that's sort of the positive. But but they've got uh, Vandegraaff, I think, coming in next year. He's a top, you know, top 12 level quarterback, top 12 nationally ranked recruit coming in. So it's not stopping. So you either are going to beat them with the guys you got, or you're going to bring in higher level guys and you're going to beat them with those guys. And um, it looks like that we're going to have to beat them with the guys that we got. And that's fine. It'll be fun. I mean, we're going to get to watch it. And certainly I think you got to give Mullen all the credit in the world if he's able to pull it off. Um, but I, I think a, an apropos example is, is Auburn under Gus Malzahn, right? I mean, Malzahn gets Alabama, you know, maybe one out of every three years. Mm-hmm. And he's able to do that in in some respects because he's had very, very good quarterback play. So one year he had Jarrett Stidham, um, one year he had Cam Newton, um, you know, or I guess Newton was back with Chiswick. But regardless, you know, they've they've got – He was the the OC, so you can – And then they had Nick Marshall there one year too when they got him. So they've had guys who have been able to – been able to put up numbers that that has been better than what Alabama's quarterback's been able to put up, and they've been able to beat them, but – they don't beat them consistently. No one thinks that Auburn is at the same level as Alabama. Now, granted, Alabama is one of the greatest programs we've ever seen, so it's a little bit unfair to compare anybody to them. But at the same time, that that's what you're looking at right now based on the level of recruiting and, and where Georgia is. is you know, One out of every three years, Florida hopefully is going to be able to get them and, you know, Fans are going to have to decide for themselves whether that's good enough for them, right? That yep. you'll you'll hear people barking about how recruiting doesn't matter if Florida wins this year. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It just means that you got them the one out of three years. So let's start looking out three years from now. If Mullins won, you know, four out of six three years from now, then all right, I'm going to have to eat some crow. But if we're looking at two out of six, then that's recruiting in my mind. All right, and one part of this too, Will, uh, as far as you know, looking at recruiting storylines, is that I don't think we've really had the chance for for the, you know looking at Florida to to feel the Tim Brewster effect. You know, come in with fire and and and, and locked up his position with Justin Wilcox and and Nick Elsness, and you know look primed to go help recruit other positions until the pandemic hit. And you look know, that that's Brewster's forte in person recruiting, and and he doesn't get to do that right now. And and I know some out there are, are harping on him not helping as much as they thought initially, but you know. You know, he's a strong in-person and, and relationship guy, and, and that's getting hit right now, that type of interaction. Yes, I know other schools, as we mentioned, are taking advantage at this time, but you know, I, I do think that it, it, it's hitting you know, new staff additions and new coaches a, a little harder. So to me, you know, Brewster's track record is too strong for me to worry about that part of it right now. And I've seen people joke out there that you know everybody else around the staff is bringing Brewster down and all that stuff. I hope, I hope that's more of a joke uh, there. You know, I think we, we have to let things play out a bit more before we're going to go that far with it. Uh, but um, I, I do think that, you know, this type of recruiting, this situation that we're in uh, kind of negates what Brewster's so well known for. Yeah, I think Brewster's going to be fine. And, and I think the staff is – I think Florida is making changes that are that are necessary to get to where they need to get to. question you can ask is are they doing it fast enough and are they doing it in an organized enough fashion? But um, I think Brewster has a track record. You know, I mean – but, again, you look at where North Carolina is mm-hmm. and, and is it Brewster or is it Mac Brown? And then you look at where – Texas A&M is and you say was it Brewster there or was it Jimbo Fisher and I think that's a legitimate question to ask but I think for the most part everybody understands that Brewster's a big time guy when it comes to recruiting um, 
but you know, the tight ends coach, isn't the guy who's going to drive your recruiting. I mean, nobody, nobody looks at, I mean, I guess maybe a few Florida fans look at the guy who went from Georgia to, to Arkansas. I don't even know his name, uh, but he's the head coach in Arkansas now and say, Oh, well he would, you know, that's going to drag down Georgia's offensive line recruiting. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the buck stops at Kirby Smart and the buck stops at Dan Mullen. Those are the people we need to look at. And whether things get done or don't get done, it won't be Brewster's fault and it won't be uh, won't be the offensive line coach for George either. It'll be Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen. Well, and some fans were already feeling this um, before the Isaiah Walker news. Uh, and we alluded to it just a bit earlier too, but it's, you know, like go back to a year ago and oh, here we go again. Uh, and, and the negative thing. I, I didn't like that comparison before the Walker stuff because, you know, this was recruiting and, and the stuff that happened a year ago was so much different, uh, so much off-the-field stuff. That was so much different, so in a different stratosphere. And now we're getting a little bit of taste of that again. But I, I still think a little bit of positive can be taken uh, about that and you go back to a year ago and, and you know, maybe how – like I said, it was a little overblown in regards to recruiting. You know, spring football had happened. Jalen Jones has to leave program. Chris Steele saga happened. Uh, the buzz about Florida's off-field issues gets out there, and and and, and you know, in turn, you know, some players for 2019 didn't qualify either, uh, as well. You know, it was a whole litany of issues uh, about this time a year ago. Um, you know, many out there, so many publications, many projected doom and gloom <laughs> for the program uh, at that point. You know, there's no way Florida can, you know, can can handle all this offseason, off-the-field issues and, and, and go have a good season. Some, some decommitments happen uh, after all this stuff, but nothing really came, uh, came out of all that. Florida goes on to win 11 games, uh, finishes with what was at the time a top 10 2020 class anyway that's taking some hits too now with Isaiah Walker. But you know, that stuff blew over and the current situation – to me, still, you know, yes, today with Isaiah Walker, you can compare it a bit more. But before that point, you really couldn't when you were just looking at the recruiting side of it. And, and you know, what we're seeing right now, to me, still on the recruiting side of things, more of a natural ebb and flow to recruiting, especially compared to what Florida was able to, to rebound from last year uh, around this time and, and go win 11 games. And, yeah, it, it's definitely getting noticed, Will, and even by some of Florida's current recruits, uh, of course, and current commits. You know, Carlos Del Rio, the current quarterback commit for the Gators, um, did, I guess, you know, felt the need to, to, to tweet out this when everything going around I fellas, or quote, you know, I fellas, let's stay focused. Grass ain't always greener on the other side. I see a lot of your boys wavering and looking around, letting those coaches from other schools sell you on a dream. We know what Florida is going as Florida is. We know what Florida is going to do. We're going to win regardless. But everybody, do what's best for you. Hashtag stay focused. So, we'll uh, of course. And if you're on Twitter, you're going to notice it. If you're a Florida fan, you're going to notice it. If you're a Florida commit you're going to notice it if you're a Florida player you're going to notice it and we certainly see it there uh, with Florida's current 2021 quarterback uh, feeling the need to go out there and kind of you know clear some air yeah I mean so I think there's two things there one is that we haven't seen it transfer to the field yet and yeah. and that's really what we're talking about right the the 20 the 2019 class really made an impact last year, obviously, with guys like Elam and Bogle and Zipper a little bit. Diabate was out there, um, you know, Ethan White. So then there were guys from that class who were out there and played played well and contributed. But what you're, 
you know, it's it's one of those, can you prove a negative? Wouldn't it be great to have Chris Steele and Kyrie Elam on the outside this year? Uh, what about R.J. Henderson at wide receiver, DeWan Black at linebacker, Davey Hammond there on the offensive line to sort of offset Isaiah Walker, um, you know, leaving here. You got Jalen Jones, so you don't have somebody in the quarterback room competing. Obviously, though, I think, you know, deservedly so, but at the same time, um, he's not there. You got Wardrick Wilson, who had the visa issues. You know, and then even the year before, you've got Lucas Kroll that they brought in as a, as a transfer or that they, that they brought in as a junior college guy. He's now transferred. Got Malik Langham. He transferred. Justin Watkins kicked off for disciplinary reasons. You can't really blame them for Randy Russell um, or Noah Banks, who had some health issues. But then you got John Huggins and then Chris Blake, who left last year after one, after one game. And then you got David Reese, um, who, who injured his Achilles. So just in general, the attrition from the 18 and the 19 classes has been pretty significant. You always expect some attrition from that first sort of transfer or the, the transition class that comes in. So it's not really a surprise that we're seeing that from 2018, where it's a surprise is that you see it in 2019 and that you're starting to see it in 2020 as well. And, you know, at some point, you know, we all remember those seasons where Florida just got injured all mm. over the place and everything started to fall apart. And I, there was one must champ year where, you know, we're down to Skylar Morinweg at quarterback and, you know, you, you don't have an offensive line out there cause nobody's healthy. And there was that year right after when McElwain took over where they didn't have enough offensive linemen to run the spring game. I mean, you know, that kind of depth at some point, especially in an sec season comes back and bites you. And, and that's really what they're missing is the key depth pieces. Now, you know, those guys from those classes are going to have to start stepping in now too. You, you know, mm. Jacob Copeland is going to have to step in now and be a big part of things because the wide receivers that they had last year are all gone. Um, you know, they're going to have to have some of these offensive linemen step in. Diabate, guys like Tyron Hopper, um, Bogle, those guys are going to have to step up and be big contributors on the defensive line. And, you know, are they going to be able to? And if they get injured, is there somebody behind them? That's really the question. I mean, you know, if a – George is replacing, I think, nine of their 11 guys on offense, and I think they're going to be just fine. I mean, I think they may struggle a little bit because, you know, Jamie Newman maybe struggles a little bit, especially early on. But at the same time, uh, George is not going to be losing a game to, to Kentucky or anything like that. I think it's going to – Georgia and Florida are the two teams that are high level in the East, and they're going to be battling it out. Um you know, so if somebody comes in and gets injured on Georgia, it's just the next guy up. Does Florida have that next guy up, I think, is, is really the question. Um, and, and then, you know, just the general angst. I mean, geez, when, you're, when your quarterback recruit is starting to hear the angst and starting – I mean, it wasn't like he was addressing the fan base. He was addressing the guys yeah. in the class. Yeah. And, you know, when you're starting to address the guys in the class publicly on Twitter, I, I – I'd be nervous too if I was a fan looking at that. It's sort of the same thing I said earlier. You know, within within the Florida framework, you can say, hey, there's an excuse for this, there's an excuse for that. But if it was Tennessee, Georgia, or 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 you know, LSU or Florida State or Miami, we'd be we'd be sitting there going, geez, what's going on down there? Mm -hmm. It's sort of the same general thing, right? I mean, and and at some point the excuses don't matter anymore. The the question is, did you bring the recruit? Did the recruit stay? Did he, did he go on the field and did he perform? And when Mullen has gotten guys to campus who are high level and has gotten them on the field, they have performed. And, and that's, I think, maybe where the disconnect is, is that if we can get these guys out there and get them on the field, they're going to perform and Florida's going to win. Um, and, and it's not like Florida's going to go four and eight or anything like that. But, you know, the reality is 0-3 for Mullen against Georgia, eh, that's going to be problematic. And, you know, 
all of a sudden you're staring at sort of that that being the albatross and Georgia having their entire offense come back in 2021 and that's just not a situation you want to be in so um you know, it's, it's not ideal. <laughs> it's not ideal. Um, but you know, you got to deal with the cards that you've been dealt. You got to deal with the things that you earned and, and we'll see whether Mullen's able to overcome it. Yep. Well, I think another side of this too, uh, in, in looking at, at, at recruiting and this is kind of more of a general, not necessarily this class coming up and it kind of going to relate to your article, uh, a bit too, and, and getting guys that fit his system. Uh, you know, he's won 21 games with mostly McIlwain guys. Uh, and look, I know, I know Mullen thinks he can, he can win with whoever he rolls out there and, and have, you know, success with McIlwain's players. Uh, so maybe the next step in winning titles in his mind is getting his players and, and and Will, you know, hitting on your latest article over at Reading Reaction, you know, maybe getting his own quarterback uh, in. I, I don't think many of us saw this coming, but you know, going into year three of Mullen's tenure, here we are going into um, into it. We got into the season with Kyle Trask starting, and, and not a quarterback Mullen recruited. I don't think any of us would have predicted that in 2018 when Mullen was hired. I, I don't. Really, it was. A year, maybe two years of Felipe Franks and Emory Jones takes over. That was pretty much the the foregone conclusion when Dan Mullen was hired and Emory Jones uh, was his quarterback recruit. So, look, and this is not right here. I want to stop it right now. This is not meant to start a quarterback debate here. That's this is this is more of a look where eventually Mullen can make a difference if classes aren't consistently going to rank in the top five. He's going to have to get going to have to get great to elite quarterback play. And that's kind of what you outlined uh, in, in your latest article at Read and Reaction. Yeah, so what I did was I went back and looked at Clemson because they're usually the team that everybody looks at and says, well, this this is what Florida, you know, Florida just needs to build like Clemson. Clemson didn't recruit really well to start with. And then I looked at Michigan, which is what I think nobody in Florida wants to be, right? <laughs> nobody wants to be just getting drummed by Ohio State or in, in Florida's case, Georgia every year and struggling to get, you know, and building up your hope every year thinking this is going to be the year and then not being able to get over the hump. But it's really interesting when you look back. So Dabo Swinney, when he took over from 2010 to 2015, Clemson had an average national ranking of 16.2. And Michigan, since Harbaugh took over in 2015, from 2015 to 2020, has had an average national recruiting ranking of 15.7. And if you look at conferences, Clemson, it was 2.8, and and Michigan, it was 2.5. And then you look at their main rivals, so Florida State, their average national ranking was 5.3, and Ohio State's has been 5.7. So really, when you think about it, Clemson was the second dog in the ACC compared to Florida State, and Michigan is the second is the second dog in, in the recruiting race against Ohio State. And, and Clemson has been able to beat Florida State and really been able to become the top dog in the ACC. And from 2010 to 2005, though, Florida State won four of the six battles, right? Um, But when you look at the reason that Clemson was able to win a couple of those battles, one was Taj Boyd. And the other one was Deshaun Watson. The, the, that was the starting quarterback for both of the games that they won from 2010 to 2005 or 2015. When they brought Kyle Parker in the game to play in 2010, even though Florida State only had Christian Ponder at quarterback, Florida State was able to win and able to win handily. And then when Florida State had a quarterback who was elite like Jameis Winston, I mean, the year he won the Heisman in 2013, then even with Taj Boyd at quarterback, Clemson couldn't necessarily compete. But when you look at Michigan, guys like Shea Patterson, John O'Corn, Wilton Spate and Jake Rudock compared to Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, JT Barrett, and Cardale Jones. Mm-hmm. Ohio State's had the better quarterback each time, and they're 5-0 from 15 to 19. And it started out, you know, Cardale Jones that year 
in 2015 against Michigan. Obviously, he was a little bit young at that point because Barrett had been playing and then got injured. Um, but you know, and that was maybe the closest game that they played. And then the next year, I think it was a three-point game with Spate and then Barrett coming back. And from then, it's just been Ohio State big each of those years. So really, I think what it boils down to is, is that the quarterback, if he's elite, is able to close the talent gap that you have of, you know, maybe 10 or 11 spots. And that's important because Georgia has – has averaged, you know, <laughs> basically almost one. I think they're like 1.4 or something over the last, over the last five or six years. And Florida has been at 10.8. So you've got that same sort of general spread. They're going to need the elite quarterback play to be able to, to be able to compete. And like you said, we wouldn't have imagined that the third year coming in, that we wouldn't be seeing Emory Jones, that Kyle Trask would be the starter and the pretty solid starter, I think. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they're going to need elite quarterback play. I don't know that good quarterback play is enough. And that's really sort of been the question all offseason is, you know, and that, that is why there is a debate between Florida fans in terms of who should be quarterback. Not because they don't think that Kyle Trask is good. It's because they have – they feel intuitively, I think, that there needs to be somebody transcendent at quarterback to be able to beat the juggernaut up in Athens from, from – you know, to be able to close that talent gap. And, you know – Emory Jones hasn't had an opportunity to show us yet, but the fact that he hasn't had an opportunity to show us means he could show us. And, and that's why that's why that's even a question, right? Because otherwise it'd be you plug in the guy who's solid. Um, I, I think I sort of think of Trask as like an A.J. McCarron in Alabama, right? Like, um, you know, McCarron was never flashy. He threw the ball in the right spot. He actually had a couple of really good years there at Alabama. Um, but... Uh, but the year they beat LSU in the championship, really LSU, the LSU game was when he really started to show out. And then the next year he's much, much better. You hope that sort of thing happens with Trask, but at the same time, you know, people were a lot more excited in Alabama with Tua quarterback than they were with AJ McCarron. And, and that's, you know, the backup quarterback's always the most popular guy, but he's the most popular guy, especially when you think you need a transcendent performance from him to really win the SEC. And, and that's where the, where the debate's coming in. All right, there, Willis, and that got me thinking, and a little bit. Not only are we looking at a Dan Mullen quarterback not taking over in year three, but how much of Michael Wayne players are still looking to be a projected starter in year three for Dan Mullen? So I'm taking this. If I think if Florida lined up and played a game today, this is where I think the starting lineup would kind of go. So if you start at quarterback, Trask, that's a Michael Wayne guy. Running back. Damian Pierce, there's your you know Mullen guy there. Uh, wide receiver Grimes, Copeland, there's your you Mullen guys there. Kadarius Tony is that third wide receiver spot. You know Jim McElwain recruit Kyle Pitts, uh, Dan Mullen there. So you go to the offensive line, Stone Forsyth, uh, McElwain uh, guy there, and going from left to right here, how I think the offensive line Forsyth McElwain guy, Richard Garage, there you go. Uh, you uh, you know, Dan Mullen, Brett Heggie, you go back to Jim McElwain there. Ethan White, I think, you know, there at right guard. And I'm still putting Gene Lance there at the right tackle, much to fan chagrin there. But I just kind of think that's the way it plays out right now, especially with the latest news and, and Isaiah Walker there. So only four out of the 11 projected starters are from the McElwain era, uh, Will. So, you know, with transfers and, and the recent wide receiver departures, no surprise to see many of Mullen guys taking over on the offensive side, offensive side of the ball and kind of his uh, offensive side of the ball or, you know, his side of the ball uh, as well, but still kind of the surprise that in year three, it's not his quarterback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because when you go and look back at the 2007 Florida team, yep. right. 
it's not really that, you know, guys like Andre Caldwell, um, guys like Keystone Moore, Lewis Murphy, um, Cornelius Ingram. Those are guys who are all brought in under the Ron Zook mm-hmm. uh, uh, umbrella, right? The difference is, is that the best guys on the offense were Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin. <laughs> those are the guys who got brought in by Urban Meyer and really made the difference between them being a 10-win team. I mean, think about it, right? If they'd have had if they'd have had sort of a game managing quarterback and they didn't have Percy Harvin, does that 2008 team win the national championship? Does the 2006 team win the national championship? I think the specialness of those guys is what pushed them over the, over the hump. And so when you look at the 2020 team for Florida, who are those guys, right? Who are the guys from the 2019 class who are going to come in on the offensive side of the ball? And this is maybe where the focus on the defensive side of the ball the last couple of years starts to become an issue. I mean, they really need somebody like Jamarcus Weston or, or Trent Whittemore or somebody like that to really step up and be a difference maker. And the question is, are they going to be able to do that? So hopefully somebody like Xavier Henderson or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, Pitts maybe can be the guy who really steps in. I mean, he's obviously a Mullen recruit. And so, um, you know, if Pitts can step up and be sort of that real huge difference maker, Damian Pierce has an opportunity to be a difference maker. Like you already, you already mentioned Grimes. That's going to be the question is when we look back at 2020, is there a guy on the offensive side of the ball who's a Mullen recruit who took the offense from being adequate or good to great? Because that's what you see when you look back at those five stars who came in under urban Meyer and, and really showed out and we don't have the five-star pedigree coming into Florida, or maybe we do, right? If you get Lingard and shorter who, who end up being that difference maker, if they're allowed to play this year, then maybe that will look back and say, Hey, those transfers were the key because those guys were contributing to the 2020 team in a way that Tebow and Harvin were contributing to that 2017. Yeah. And mentioning 2007 will, and kind of the big difference here is on the defensive side of the ball. You go back to 2007, you were replacing so many of Ron Zook's guys. I was completely surprised about how many McIlwain guys are projected stars on the defense. I'm going to start on the back end first. Sean Davis, McIlwain guy. Brad Stewart, McIlwain guy. Star, Amari Bernie. There's your first Dan Mullen guy. Outside cornerback, Marco Wilson, McIlwain guy. Other side, Elam. There's your Mullen guy. Linebacker. Both McIlwain guys, more than likely, right? If Florida was to play a game right now, Ventro Miller, James Houston. Both of the Mac guys, I think, would be at linebacker right now. You go to Buck, Britton Cox, I'll put, I'll slide him in there right now. You could go Jeremiah Moon there, too, uh, if Florida was to play a game right now and he was healthy. Uh, that would be a McIlwain guy, but I'll, I'll go Britton Cox just for the sake of this argument. Go to the defensive line, and this is where, you know, another big difference. Zach Carter, McIlwain guy. Kyrene Campbell, McIlwain. Slayton, McIlwain. Eight of the projected starters there I just gave you were Jim McElwain recruits uh, there. So now we know we'll see plenty of Mullen and, and Grantham recruits on you know, on that side of the field in the form of Diabate, Chatfield, Dexter, Kimbrough, Hill, uh, Dean. But, you know, there's still Don Steiner, Jeremiah Moon that were actually recruited by Michael Wayne. Those guys will get major minutes in year three of Mullen regime. So I was I didn't really think about it until this exercise. Well, I was a bit surprised to see still so many of Jim Michael Wayne's guys on the defensive side of the ball, a side of the ball that has been loaded up recently in recruiting under Todd Grantham the last couple of years. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you look again, you go back and look at that 20, 2007 team and granted they, they struggled to stop people. But one of the reasons they struggled to stop people is they were so young. Yeah. Brandon Spikes is the leader in tackles, 16 tackles for loss. Jermaine Cunningham, Major Wright, Joe Hayden, um, you know, Dustin Doe. So there were a lot of guys who'd been brought in by, um, by Meyer and by Mullen in some capacity, Mm -hmm. but by that staff who were contributing in that, in that 2007 year and, and then contributed very, very, very heavily to the, to the 2008 championship. And I think that maybe is the thing where, um, Again, who's going to step up, right? So 2007, Brandon Spikes is clearly clearly the leader on the defense. Joe Hayden is clearly a cornerback who's necessary for them to take the next step in 2008. Those guys were out there on the field, and, and they learned and had some hard lessons while they were out there on the field, but they learned and they showed out. And, that, and that's going to be the question that I have for this year is who, who of those guys that you mentioned, guys like Elam and Bogle and Hopper and Diabate and Summerall and Jalen Humphreys and, and all those guys, are there going to be guys who jump off the screen when they go out there? And, and you know, you, you mentioned the McElwain guys at linebacker. Well, linebacker's obviously been a little bit of a, at least when it comes to coverage, linebackers has been a struggle. Is it, po- you know, there was a reason Amari Bernie was sliding up into linebacker last mm-hmm. year. Is he going to slide up the linebacker even more? And is he going to be one of the starting linebackers? Right. Is Tyron Hopper, somebody who was a top 100 recruit and redshirted last year, is he going to be able to step in and take away the job from a guy who, you know, these guys who have three or four years of experience, well, at some point athleticism, if it starts to take over, um, you know, are those guys athletic enough to be able to take their jobs and, or at least push the guys who are in that position to be even better? Those are the questions that we're going to have to ask. And that's one of the reasons why you want recruiting depth, right? Is that you have that sort of competition in the room and, and everybody's pushing everybody else to get better. Yeah. I don't, I'm having a hard time deciding whether I think that's a good thing. Having so many McElwain guys in there, there's a lot of experience there and, and guys who have made plays made, you know, a lot of inconsistency there at the same time, you know, Sean Davis, especially in the secondary, uh, Sean Davis, Brad Stewart, those guys at defensive front. I still feel pretty good about those guys, especially with, with the way Slayton came on at the end of last year. But man, I just didn't, I, I didn't expect it till I started listing off guys. I was like, wow, there's so many more McElwain guys. And I expected if you would have told me three years ago or when Dan Mullen was hired, uh, if we would have seen that many guys, uh, I don't know if I would have believed you there, but you know, kind of a catch 22. Do you go with a lot of the experience or do you go with a lot of the young guys here? Uh, and because I think from what we've seen the last couple of years, the Mullen guys that I mentioned in the like Diabate, Chatfield, Dexter, Kimbrough, Hill, Dean probably have the higher ceiling uh, there. But, you know, what will we see out of those guys with so many of McElwain guys still left over? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When you look at the 20, 2006 team for Florida, you had guys like Earl Everett, Brandon mm-hmm. Siler, Tony Joyner, Jarvis Moss, Ryan Smith, Reggie Nelson, Ray McDonald, Derek Harvey. Those are the guys who are really the big, the 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 heavy hitters on defense. And those guys, many of them rightfully so, went to the NFL <laughs> after that 2006 year. And other than C.J. Henderson, yeah. nobody went to the NFL this year from Florida's defense. So. Right. When you say you don't know what to expect, I think that's kind of, I mean, I'm assuming that's what you mean is that is that there aren't a lot of guys from this team who you look at and go, there's a first round pick. There's a first round pick. There's a third round pick. Right. I listed so many McElwain guys, but is that a good thing? 
Well, and and so I think I think it's interesting though because the 2007 defense couldn't stop anybody. Right. We all remember that Citrus Bowl um, <laughs> against Michigan, where you know Tebow would drive him right down the field, and then here comes Michigan straight back the other direction. You're like, God, just like one stop, guys, one <laughs> stop. It was sort of like the LSU game from last year, and and um, yeah, and and Florida's schedule is so easy this year. And they really only have to – and LSU's lost their quarterback. Georgia's lost their quarterback. So it's a really weird situation because I don't think this is an ideal setup for for Florida from the standpoint of having all those guys from the McIlwain era. At the same time, if it was only people from the Mullen era, we'd be sitting here saying yeah. they're too young. They're not going to be able to take advantage of where they are in the schedule. Um, you know, and then obviously the transfers that Mullen's brought in, um, Cox in particular – sort of buoys this third year where most coaches take a dip. So yeah, it's going to be kind of fascinating to see what happens. Um, you know, but we, but we both know that eventually the Mullen guys are going to get in there just because of injuries, right? I mean, at some point you're going to have two or three injuries on defense and then you're going to have to have guys who are able to step in and, and certainly we got to hope then they've got the, the experience and the talent to be able to do that and do that well. And a lot of it's just circumstantial, you know, especially for the offensive side. Just lost a litany of receivers there. Of course, you're going to have to replace them with Mullen guys. That's <laughs> just, I mean, it, it was just, you know, the cycle uh, of the way it happened there. Uh, quarterback still the kind of one position we're, we're maybe surprised at. Uh, running back, I mean, you know, maybe Malik Davis, but we'll see. You know, appears to me is the guy going in. So taking a look at both sides of the ball, you know, it uh, I, I still kind of find it surprising. So many Michael Wayne guys on the defense and, and so many Mullen guys on the offense there. So uh, right before let's uh, right before we get off here, uh, while it is May, we can take a look ahead in, in the world of recruiting and two commitments happening soon. A will to keep a close eye on for the Gators and, and both that can somewhat lessen the blow of losing Bashard Smith late last week. Charles Montgomery commits on May 24th between Florida and Maryland. He announced on Twitter this past week, a few 24 seven sports crystal balls have come in for the Gators recently there. So Montgomery is the, uh, uh, is a 24-7 sports composite four-star prospect out of Armwood. Uh, ranks as the 239th ranked player in the country. Has played running back and slot wide receiver in high school. So definitely, definitely a versatile tool if Mullen can get him in his offense. And also highly ranked four-star wide receiver Christian Leary will also be making a commitment June 6th uh, where it looks like Florida, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Auburn seem to be the top choices uh, 152nd ranked player in the country out of Orlando uh, says no matter where he commits, he's going to take all of his visits when everything opens back up. So, Will, you know, this is a, a wide receiver that's a threat to score whenever he touches the ball. And Mullen has specifically targeted him himself for his offense uh, and is a big player here in the recruitment of Leary. So, Will, in a month from now, if Florida's going to you know, if Florida was to get one or both of those guys, then perhaps Gator Nation will, will feel better. And, and there's also uh, a chance Florida gets neither and, and panic ensues again, but uh, with some of the fan base. But, you know, two guys there uh, that can kind of change fortunes, kind of change the way uh, maybe people are, are viewing Florida in the next month or so. It's interesting. These guys aren't the typical guys that you sort of think of when when you think of who Mullen goes after. So Charles Montgomery's 5'10", 185. You mentioned he's sort of a running back, wide receiver, slot receiver hybrid. Um, Christian Leary, 5'9", 180. Both, both highly ranked guys. So Montgomery's 239th overall. Leary's 152nd overall. So both, both five-star guys, or I'm sorry, four-star guys. But um, interesting that they're smaller. So, you know, you think of them more as like a Kadarius Tony maybe replacement, mm-hmm. or even in the 
mold of a guy like Jeff Demps or a guy like Chris Rainey and, and their sort of contribution to the offense, or maybe even a guy like Brandon James, right? That somebody who can return kicks with a little bit more explosion than we saw from, from what Freddie Swain last year. But yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, anytime you can get guys who are, who are four stars, high level four stars, so 152 pretty high up there for Leary. Um, it, it's, it certainly lessens the blow. I mean, again, you look at Brashard Smith, he was an all purpose back sort of that, you know, running back wide receiver type of hybrid that you're talking about with Montgomery and, you know, three star 346. I think for, for Smith, you know, if, if he was somebody who got pushed out because you got Montgomery, I don't think any Florida fan would have a problem with it, at least based on rankings. Um, but, but certainly, certainly somebody who's deciding between Florida and Maryland. I mean, it's not like he's deciding between Florida and Alabama. He's not deciding between Florida and Georgia. He's deciding between Florida and Maryland. Florida needs to win that battle. Absolutely. Hopefully it's not another uh, Stefan Diggs turnout uh, there. <laughs> so, uh, and keeping up uh, with here before we get off here, if you want to see Florida take that major leap, the major leap here recruiting, and this this is it. Uh, you, it but you may have to wait till National Signing Day. Two big targets have announced they're going to uh, going to wait and announce then, and they come from the Miami Palmetto area uh, school. Five-star cornerback Jason Marshall, who seems like a Florida lean right now, lists Florida as a finalist with Clemson and Alabama. We're going to have to wait uh, there. And highly ranked safety and the 59th-ranked player, Corey Collier announced on Twitter, you know, uh, they're, they're not committing to National Signing Day uh, there. So two big-time targets we're just going to have to wait on. But the reason I bring those two guys up, Will, first of all, they are major Gator targets. But, you know, so much of this class, ultimately for me, you know, is it, going to be judged on what happens at Miami Palmetto and their players. You know, Florida is in on so many of those guys, and those guys are highly ranked prospects. The staff is after uh, Brashard, Brashard Smith may have just decommitted, but you know, still lists Florida as a leader. Staff likes him and his style of play. Five-star defensive tackle Leonard Taylor is high on the Gators, but no decision uh, coming soon there. Four-star defensive tackle Savion Collins currently committed to Miami. He's listening very high on the Gators. Florida's got to get his mom on board if Florida wants to flip him. And hopefully, you know, like the Lakeland trio a couple years ago and that that class under Urban Meyer years ago, the Gators strike big at one particular school. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was about to say is that this sort of reeks of the of the Lakeland trio from 2019 and and those three guys coming and you sort of looked at that and said, hey, this is sort of the turning point where where Florida has an opportunity to really, uh, you know, announce their authority. But yeah, you know, I, I do wonder whether all five of these guys, because Brashard Smith is sort of in that list of the guys who are coming from from Miami Palmetto, I do wonder whether those five guys want to play together. I mean, certainly, you know, Marshall is a five-star cornerback. Then you got Collier, he's a four-star safety. And then Leonard Taylor and Savion Collins are both – One's a five-star, one's a four-star defensive tackle. You've pretty much filled out your entire defense if you get those guys to come. So certainly, it's it's an important it's an important place for Florida to be able to focus. And particularly with the issues that are going down at the University of Miami, you would expect Florida to be able to get more inroads down there. Um, and, and you know, considering the issues that Florida is dealing with in terms of Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson coming down into the state 
then driving down further south may be a way that they can they can sort of recoup some of those losses maybe a little bit. So yeah, I mean it's going to be important. I, I think at the end of the day, these are the guys you think of who are sort of leading the pack. But again, I, I think if we look back at the last couple of recruiting classes, one thing that we sort of recognize or need to recognize is that there are names are going to pop up and opportunities mm-hmm. are going to pop up for different guys who aren't necessarily on the radar today, either because you know we were waiting for grades or the staff um, you know was able to see that there was interest or you know somebody decommits from from a different program and all of a sudden now he's available to be able to flip to to florida so those names are going to pop up i don't want to put all of our eggs in the miami palmetto basket but that i think along with just general malaise when it comes to comes to recruiting and sort of saying here it goes again that's one of the reasons why the Brashard Smith decommitment sort of hits people harder is because there's a recognition that there's all those other guys at Miami Palmetto. And if, you, if you're struggling to bring Smith in, what does that say about the other four guys that you're going to try to bring in as well? Well, hopefully he just wanted to decommit and recommit with all those guys. Will. So, or, yeah, that's, that's what it'll be, man. <laughs> or, or, or most of them. Or most of them. Florida's not going to go five for five. I mean, if they do, I'll, I'll eat crow. Uh, but <laughs> there's no, uh, yeah, go five for five there, man. I'll tell you what, that would, that'd be something. But, uh, you know, Florida's got to get, uh, you know, Jason Marshall, they're in really good shape for it. You know, get, get him five-star cornerback, uh, add to that legacy there uh, at that position for the Gators. But, uh, of course, hopefully, hopefully it can hit on more um, from that school there. So, we'll um, kind of went long here a little bit. Uh, what you uh, what you got coming up for reading reaction? Oh, well, you know, I mean, we'll see where this recruiting stuff goes. I think <laughs> we have to revisit it depending upon what's going on. But, uh, you know, I, it, this is the time of year when you really start looking at film usually and trying to decide what, what's important to look for, what people should be looking for, you know, after the spring game. And certainly we didn't have the spring game this year. So um, we'll see. I, I, I haven't exactly figured out what I'm going to be writing about this week. Yeah. But there will be, there'll be something up at the site. And, uh, and might even, you know, one of the things that people have been talking about is if there's a shortened schedule what does that look like and and you and i've sort of been bantering about back behind the scenes you know would we be willing to accept a playoff structure for one year just because things were shortened a little bit so might write about that a little bit and and what it would look like if if there were some schools that didn't open up or couldn't open up because of the coronavirus what does college football look like so um certainly i wish i was writing about something other than that (laughs) but but with coronavirus around that that's one of the things that i think is uh, at the forefront of everybody's mind all right that is will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles sec and his site read and go check his latest article out there uh comparing you know where florida could be in relation to clemson and michigan and what they've done on the recruiting trail i'm the host of gators breakdown david waters you can find me on twitter at gator dave underscore sec guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown